if I could be a certain athlete at a certain time, I would be Randy Johnson so I could go to the first ever live Temple of the Dog show. day everybody happy wednesday we got a midweek pod coming at you it's going to be like this the rest of the season i like this a lot better i hope y'all like the monday morning thing um to be honest take you behind the curtain you guys are not getting to that pod by four or five in the afternoon there's not much you haven't heard about sunday slate of games but it's not quite enough time for me to responsibly break down all the film i want to break down to give you a meaty kind of football pod that's got like the details in there. Anybody who's given you all the details on Monday morning, uh, like, like as if they've watched every team play both sides of the ball in detail where they can tell you what happened, either they're on crack cocaine, uh, or much better at this than, than I am. Um, and maybe both in some cases, I have no idea how anybody can absorb, break down and retain like everything that happens Sunday um, by Monday morning. But what we are doing is taking a stab at it Sunday night and kind of just reacting to stuff. So um, I think as the, as the season goes on, I'll do some Wednesday pods that are like just deep dive football. Hey, you guys suggested that you wanted to see like something on a long look. There was a, a, you know, a lineman matchup or what happened to the Cowboys defense, which I'll only do once. Okay. I did that one time, maybe once more, but definitely not twice. Um, there'll be pods like that, but this week is different because we happen to stumble into an amazing guest, uh, two amazing guests. Okay. Part of the uh, legendary band Pearl jam of which I'm a, a big fan, like many of, uh, I suppose the other 35 year old white males <laughs> that are listening to this podcast. Uh, and I'm sure there are a few, Man, I love that fucking band. I'm also lucky to call uh, Jeff Ament a friend, um, somebody that I got to know through one of my dad's buddies. One of my dad's best friends played for the Lakers a long time, a relatively long time. His name is Frank Burkowski. He also played for like the Bucks, the Spurs, stuff like that. I have one of those pictures I'm staring at right now in my home office. Uh, it's one of those cutouts um, that, you know, back in the nineties, you would make, you would take a picture that they took on one of those heavy ass, you got to go develop the film cameras. And then they would turn it into like, uh, you know, like a diorama or some shit. I'm staring at one right now and I'm at a San Antonio Spurs game, like up to my dad's knees. He's in a fucking Canadian tuxedo, (laughs) probably with a spitter in his hand, (laughs) it's not alcohol. He doesn't drink. Um, and flat top looks glorious. He's standing with Frank Burkowski of the Spurs. It's power forward and about three, four inches taller than Frank is, uh, David Robinson, the Admiral and, uh, to the left of my dad. And this is the disturbing part. A head shorter than my pops is a guy in a Cleveland Indians hat and a leather jacket. And his name is Charlie Sheen. (laughs) What the fuck? was going on 
in that situation? And why was I hanging around Charlie Sheen? <laughs> I mean, I've had this thing since I was a kid. I'm displaying it proudly as an, as an adult. I have never asked out loud why I was hanging out with Charlie Sheen. I got to call my dad and ask him that. Uh, but Frank Burkowski and him were cool because they, they met in LA, you know, dad was playing for the Raiders. Frank was playing for the Lakers, but Frank also played in Seattle with the Sonics and got tight with a lot of the dudes in that scene. Jeff Ament was one of them, Jeff, Frank, my dad, uh, actually Phil Jackson even has a spot right off Flathead Lake in Montana, but I've been going to Flathead since I was a kid. Long story short, got to know, uh, you know, Montana's own guitarist legend, Pearl jam glue guy, Jeff, um, through Montana and just such a chill dude. Uh, never really thought about having him on or Eddie on for that matter. Cause I thought, you know, waste of their fucking time you know, we're just a little pod, but they're doing this cool voting initiative. And they've been people that, you know, right now we're talking about vote, vote, vote. They've been doing this stuff since the early nineties, concerts, benefits, mobilizing, you know, voters in Montana, that sort of thing. And they've just been crushing this stuff and they've been really civically minded since, uh, the inception of their, their awesome band. Um, and I've seen them more than a few times, Last time I got to see them live, it was like my flu game. I got the flu at Bonnaroo and I had to push through it. So many people get sick of Bonnaroo. It's called Bonnaflu. Like they make, it's really just, you showed up with an upper respiratory thing or some sort of a summer bug. And then you just tried to drink through it. That's what the Bonnaflu is. And so night two, it caught up to me and I stood out there and, and watched these guys and they sound just as good as they did when I was 13 years old and I saw him for the first time in Northern Virginia, I drove up in somebody's uh, station wagon with my buddy, Philip Atkins. And we looked backwards out, out of the station wagon all the way up to the concert, you know, back in those station wagons, when you carpooled and those rear facing seats was like unbelievably unsafe. Yeah. We, um, we rode in one of those things, you know, women also used to drink pregnant. So like nothing surprises me about <laughs> outdated shit like that. We had a great show. I saw him in St. Louis as well. Um, that was a, a really fun night, really fun night. Uh, and I went with Sam Bradford and Jimmy Lake, a uh, legendary equipment manager from, uh, from the St. Louis Rams. So, I mean, I've got a lot of great memories from being 13 to being a pro football player to Bonnaroo, seeing these guys. And, uh, you know, when Eddie and Jeff, Eddie fucking Vetter and Jeff Ament of Pearl Jam were like, yo, we'll come on and, and pump the voting thing and talk about whatever else. I was like, man, I don't care when we do it. We just got to get these guys on. So we've got Eddie and Jeff here, and uh, I'm just really lucky to have them on. I know they're very busy uh, between making killer music still. Uh, they're always up to something better in communities um, and trying to will this country to a better place. And it starts right now, it starts with voting. You guys have been at this for nearly 30 years now, but it feels like this election's a little bit different. What have you guys done with PJ Votes to take it to the next level? <clears throat> this is Jeff. Um, you know, we, I, I, because we've been doing it for a while, um, and because technology's changed so much over the last few years, um, it sort of feels like we had to approach it a little bit differently this time. Um, and we're not on tour. Um, typically we'd be out on tour and, you know, maybe we would, uh, 
at a couple points during the show, Ed would say a few words and mostly uh, historically, it was just like trying to activate people to get out there and vote and be a part of the process. And um, so this time we had to, we had to utilize, um, you know, this technology that we, that we've came, you know, we've come upon over the last 10 years. And uh, we got a little bit of a trial run two years ago when uh, we helped out John Tester uh, win a Senate seat in Montana. And it was uh, using a lot of local organizations and just getting, you know, basically knocking door to door um, and making sure people were registered to vote and sort of making it fun and uh, giving them, uh, you know, good reasons uh, to vote and making sure that they knew what was going on in their community, <clears throat> in the state, in the country. And um, so here we are, we're, you know, vote by mail, uh, it's safe, recruit three friends, because I think people typically uh, get more excited about things when they're in a group. And don't wait, uh, do it sooner than later, because uh, there's a lot of, uh, misinformation and uh, weirdness out there right now. So uh, I think getting getting it done sooner gives your vote a better chance of actually being counted. So, you know, that's, that's the long, that's the long story. <laughs> Ed, Ed, what do you think? Cause you guys, I mean, I'm reading, I, I had no idea cause I was seven years old when you guys were doing this stuff. And now everybody's like, Hey, we got to vote. But in 1992, you did a drop in the park concert in Seattle registered thousands of voters. You mentioned Montana, 2008, you get a 95% follow through on 3000 Montanans coming out and, uh, and getting riled up to vote. What do you think drives the, the apathy when it comes to casting your vote? Is it that feeling of like, it doesn't matter what I, what I have to say, it doesn't matter what my ballot says, or is it, I don't trust politicians and how do we overcome that? Well, I, I think, um, you know, the electoral college is an antiquated system that desperately needs to be retooled. So we, you know, we can figure that out once we, we get some positive changes happening. That, that'll, that, that could be, uh, you know, next on the docket of, of certain things to address for our future, because we're seeing how how messy and political and, uh, you know, we, 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 I think everybody would appreciate a system where everybody's vote did count. Um, and, and I think, but, but besides that, I, I really think that people wait for the perfect candidate or in the past they they've kind of been left undecided or on the fence because they're saying well i like this but i'm not so sure about that and i like this and and but maybe not that or uh you know and that's where misinformation comes in and, and the distribution of of information in this this in our modern times is is quite different than it used to be even 10 years ago so, um, but you know, you're never going to have the perfect candidate, and and what what I think is important is is that people, I think that they should be a little selfish in some ways. You know, what what would this person do for for my beliefs, and and not that that that's why you would vote for them. Let me clarify. I think you need to let the whoever's running, let them know 
people need to let them know what's important to you so they know um you know what people are thinking are thinking what people are needing um you know what's important is is climate change the most important thing to you is is uh you know funding our military is that what what's important to you you know it, it can be a wide range of issues but see where you know not only just see where the the candidates stand but make them stand where you want them to and that's just being part of the the political process all the way through and not just on election day yeah because you're failing to leverage yourself at all if you just sit at home you know and you don't go do anything um and i think you know that you make a great point there's never going to be a perfect candidate i wonder if we can get to a place once we stop the bleeding here um as you alluded to with the electoral college and that sort of thing where eventually the path to being the leader of the free world is a little bit more arduous and you know you can't buy it and uh you don't have to stab people in the back or compromise on your beliefs and your values when you get into the political arena do you ever think we'll see a day guys where we arrive at, at that place in our lifetimes i mean i i certainly feel hopeful about the young democrats you know some you know the you know aoc and uh, you know i know people are afraid to mention her by name because they think <laughs> she's some radical or whatever yeah. but um <clears throat> You know, her policies are are largely like that she just cares for people and wants to take care of people in the country. Um, so that's the, you know, when those when those people get sort of uh, cast as being the radical left and socialism and all the, all these things that are like supposedly bad words, it's um it just seems crazy to me. That seems, ra- you know, I guess it is radical because all we've known up to this point is like <laughs> ties to corporations. It, you know, it just seems crazy that there's this m- amount of money being spent right now when there's people worried about, you know, paying the rent or if they're going to have a home or if they're going to have a job in six months. And I don't know. Is this I guess the, it's, I guess it's re, re, redefining what radical is. You know, The thing that drives me crazy is like, I get it. This is an emergency, but acting like what happened to our country, our country's never been what it could be. So we gotta stop, I think, talking like, you know, um, we need to restore some glory. We've never quite exhausted our potential as an equitable place to live for everybody. And so there's gonna be, hey, like, let's kick ass in a couple weeks here. Let's do what, what you're talking about doing. Let's get out there and vote. But then there's the follow through and not going back to sleep because I think if, you know when you walk into a really dirty hotel room, you can't see the stains, bear with me on the metaphor. I think that the the orange guy is the black light. I keep using that analogy. He's the black light. He has if he's done yeah. anything totally inadvertently positive, it's to expose people uh yeah. for who I believe they are. Um and I'm you know, if you want to take it like I'm calling you a stain in a hotel room in a Best Western, <laughs> take it that way. But in I, West Western or, or, or a hotel in Russia? Maybe La Quinta or a hotel in Russia. La Quinta, Moscow. <laughs> That's good. Like how do, because cause there is like a sense of, so hey, he we could he win and relax. He didn't drain the swamp. He illuminated it. Yes. He put neon lights at the bottom like Jeff probably has at his dock on Flathead Lake. So you can see the swim platform <laughs> and that sort of thing. Uh yeah, it's tough because that's what I grapple with. Okay, like let's go kick ass. But six months from now, hopefully, 
when we restore some relative order, we've got a whole other battle to continue fighting. We can't go back to sleep is my only thing. Well, and it would help immensely to have an administration that would be more than willing to expend the energy to bring people together, mm -hmm. to attempt to solve some of these issues, um, as opposed to kind of riling up both sides and, and create even more uh, divisiveness um, and I'm just, you know, this is just reporting what we've seen. Yeah. You know, there's been plenty of opportunities on so many issues. You know, the, this administration had three and a half years to, you know, and, and you know, when it first happened, I, I think there was a lot of people that said, well, okay, we respect the office of the presidency and, and let's see, let's see where this goes. You know, let's, you know, actually lend some support to the office that governs our country and, you know, of which we are, you know, proud citizens and it's our republic. And, you know, none of that really, even, you know, some of that faith that, that lasted for some time, you know, there's this, this kind of. Uh, narrative out there that all all that's happened is just attacks on him and attacks on this that and the other. It's you know there's he's had a lot of opportunities to do better, to do great things, to do some of the things he said he would, to do you know just really you know culminating in this this pandemic where you've seen just the lack of leadership and lack of uh you know assistance a lack of information lack of uh you know direction to to save lives you know in the in the hundreds of thousands um you know that that's not you know people who who don't like him are not excited that he's failing at that no you know if anything that that would have you know, that's that was another time we're rooting for him because that's that we're talking American lives and, and we're talking, you know, the way that our leadership could be viewed, you know, across the planet if we were if our approach was, had been shown to be successful. So, you know, I think it's a real exciting time as, as dark as it is. It's it's exciting and, and to to vote. It, you you get a jolt of energy from it. You know, this is your form of protest. It's the most powerful form of peaceful protest, as John Lewis said. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the last few years has really been a civics lesson, you know, up close. You know, when he got elected, it was like, well, I guess now we're going to find out where our, our checks and balances are. And, and then what we've seen is the importance of paying attention and being active in government because you see what happens when you have an imbalanced Senate. You see what happens with the Supreme Court when you have an imbalanced Senate. So, you know, for, for kids from my daughter's age, 16, to, you know, you know, some of my neighbors that are a little bit older, parents that are a little older, you know, I, I think it's been an intense civic lesson and i think we take less for granted now and and i think the key is to 
as you said, after this is over, um, or the, the, the transitional period, uh, we, everyone remains active. You got fans who maybe followed you for 20 years and maybe didn't read press clippings or interviews or didn't read the room or pay attention to the stuff you've done off stage. How do you balance that? I'm, I'm sure I know the answer, but when a fan's like, I don't like what you're doing. Like when you guys worked in the early 90s on the deal with the Memphis Three, which I had no idea about, just reading about all the stuff you guys have done off stage, what's the reaction like when you wade in those waters? And how do you mitigate that? Or do you just say, fuck it, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do? Well, I, you know, one difference, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> one difference uh, from 25, 30 years ago is that we didn't have social media. <laughs> So God bless you. You know, the, you, know the, you know, there might be a, a show where you, you know, Ed would speak out against something and maybe you'd have a smattering of booze and that's kind of, that's awesome. That's like a real back and forth. But, um, now you have, uh, you don't even know who it is. You know, we're, we're sort of being told by our it people that, you know, when you get that big five, 10 minute, you know, rush of, uh, negative stuff on social media it's bots you know they can they can they can immediately you know find out that it's all coming from russia or wherever it's coming from why do i need some fucking it people read we need it people i argue <laughs> sure, with people <laughs> i'm sure all the bad uh, all the bad comments towards you are all bots Chris. i don't think they're all bots jeff but but i wish i had an it team that's what we need here because they would tell me you're wasting all your time. Yeah, no, it's a different dynamic. I mean, like in the 90s, you guys speaking out on causes and doing stuff that you did off the stage, it's like a totally different dynamic now. Like every day, if you so choose, I can open my, my feed and be influenced a bunch of different ways. I can also be criticized intensely. And if you can't handle it, it can break you and compromise your values. Well, I th when I think about the old days, well, even up to current, you know, I, you know, the, the amount of stuff we probably end up talking about or, or having be somehow public is maybe one tenth of so much of the, the stuff we're able to participate in and, um, you know, help out either financially or, uh, you know, just all kind of different way there's a lot of stuff that just under the radar that you know there's no reason to in fact i shouldn't even be talking about it here but i'm just saying that that really when it's when it's something that comes out public then that's it's you know if you didn't every once in a while you gotta you know address an issue and even just to not engage the crowd but just to gauge the crowd mm -hmm. you know really to have a, a you know we've been just so fortunate to to have a bit of a relationship based on the songs and the shows and the uh and 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 the you know that that's a group of people out there that that they're friends you know a lot of them are friends and the, and they've had friendships and marriages you know based on meeting at the shows you right. know there's a whole there's a there's a connection there and 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 kind of one of the great things is sometimes we're you know, just, we are the, that's not a byproduct of us. We're a byproduct of them. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I think we've been pretty responsible 
over the years of of uh, and, and respectful of of um, how much they're willing to put up with from us. But I and I and I think that you know, look, if if, if that didn't exist, I I think it would be more of a you know their 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 band wouldn't have as much uh, you know they're, they're, I think they're an, an intellectual crowd for the most part. So I I think it's it's fuel. I, I think that's that's part of uh, they understand that's that's part of what what can make an evening or a uh, uh, you know powerful uh, uh, or a you know a lifetime's dedication you know uh, powerful on both sides of the equation. Yeah, you talked about people getting engaged at your shows or meeting at your shows. When I was thirteen, my buddy Philip scored right next to me at, at the show, uh, made out with a chick, and. Uh, <laughs> And that was a special moment for me, except for that I didn't have a girl. <laughs> I was the third wheel at a Pearl Jam show circa 1998. And I think it was in DC. Uh, I think I got tickets from Frank, actually, our guy, Frank Bukowski. So uh, I had some major milestones as well. Also was in St. Louis um, when you guys played maybe in 13. I don't know, you, they probably all run together. You guys covered Bob O'Reilly that night. The lights went off. I thought the show was over, had a blast and then the lights came on i know you love the who growing up eddie how, what's it like covering a song like that or what goes into you guys deciding to cover a song or to just leave it alone well we've done that one at least twice i think <laughs> maybe at least twice rocking the free world we like that one you know there's only so many there's a few out there that will really raise the roof and and if you've run out of your own at that point then you need to borrow <laughs> but really at, at that point i think songs like that it's it's um you've kind of done the work for the night you know and then and then that one you can that's just like a a big perfect wave you know you you, you can't fall on you can't wipe out on that one and you guys didn't it was amazing uh it was it was definitely amazing. I, I want to get to the covers in a second because I'm always really intrigued by it. I know you guys uh, you guys have gotten a chance to work with some other great musical acts that I'm sure you had no idea you'd ever. You, I saw you on stage before Eddie with uh, with Mick Jagger doing Wild Horses and like stuff like that's got to be special. I want to get to that. DK Metcalf. Let's start with Seattle sports as we take a hard <laughs> right turn out of the serious. Did you guys see him run last night? That was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. One of the greatest athletic feats I've ever witnessed in my life. I mean, and you know what? It reminded me of like, he runs like Dennis Rodman. He's really super upright. And then, and then he takes his helmet off and his hair is pink and he's got like stuff in his <laughs> nose and his ears. And, but that was, I mean, to watch it in slow motion was one of the greatest things I've ever witnessed. Like, he made up 15 yards or 20 yards or something yeah, on a really fast little cat. I mean, that looked like yeah. I put it on the pod last night that it looked like an adult chasing a child. Like, yeah, I was afraid for Buddha Baker. <laughs> I was like, I was, he, I was terrified. He, he was afraid too. He was looking back like, what the hell is that? <laughs> like there's a herd of elephants behind him or something. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when I was a kid and you know, you're running through a dark hallway and you're afraid of the imaginary man behind you. I likened it to, I think all along it was DK Met, Metcalf. You know, <laughs> I was running from DK Metcalf my whole childhood. You've watched it a bunch of times. I saw it a few times cause I, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. How did he know like his first step 
was so quick and he had to run through a few guys. I mean, he, he ran straight, but like through them. If you guys watched it a few times, yeah. the, the immediate momentum I thought was just shocking athleticism. Like how, you know, just from, you know, being on one leg, you know, I just couldn't believe he shot like a rocket. When you run yeah, that yeah. time at the combine and you run four three three and then you have like a basketball player gate, like it's just yeah. one angle on this thing, and I have to ask a ball carrier. You rarely see a ball carrier, like he's one of the best receivers in football right now. You turn on the TV on Sunday, you're gonna see DK Metcalf in a highlight or whatever, but you never see him running without the football at full speed. And yeah. at that distance, I mean, we got lucky to see that. It's one of those moments that, and I played in the league for 11 years, that I'm just like, this guy's different. You know, like, he's just not, he's just not human. He was, he's a man amongst men from an athletic standpoint. And those humbling moments, me as like Joe washed up in a podcast chair, I'm like, holy shit, I was really on the field with people like that for 11 years? I mean, it doesn't make sense. You guys are, you guys are Seattle fans, right? I mean, I know, Eddie, you've got some, some well-known love affairs with Chicago sports teams. But you guys spent so much time in Seattle. Teams, not individuals. Yeah, yes. teams. You're right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah well, the way the way I pose that. Who's a Seattle athlete? Because I think it's been pretty evenly distributed. I guess you could say Ken Griffey Jr., but baseball's different. That if you guys could get in some a time machine and go back and be a Seattle athlete during a specific period, who would it be? You get to just jump in the Marshawn Lynch suit or the it's, the Sean it's Kemp suit? It's Sean Kemp. It's Sean Kemp. It's not. It's not even close. If you could be, if I could be Sean Kemp, ninety four to ninety six. Okay. I mean, just go watch the highlights online, and you forget. It's a little bit like going. It's like it's a little bit like watching Last Dance, where you sort of forgot how amazing Jordan was. But if you go watch those highlights from ninety four to ninety six, I don't know if there's other than Dr. J. I don't know if there's anybody that athletic ever to play in the league it's just that'd be cool you, and, got, and I, you, you got good hops though in real life you're just not six, <laughs> you're just not six eight six nine six ten not anymore yeah. not six nine anymore <laughs> eddie would it be a C seattle athlete for you or would it be a chicago athlete for you well no if i could if i could be a certain athlete at a certain time i would be randy johnson so I could go to the first ever live Temple of the Dog show. Oh wow! Right, he was there, and because and, and, I wasn't there, I, I was. I, I after we did some recording, I, I went back to work my job at the uh, security, you know, thing, <laughs> petroleum company. So I, I need to put in a couple more weeks of work before I came back up. So I missed that one, but there was Randy, and not only would you be Randy Johnson at the was it Rock Candy, Jeff? Was that where you did the first? One? Uh, that was that was at the off ramp, I think. That was at the off ramp too. Yeah, that's what I heard. So not only would you you be there, but also if you were Randy Johnson, your view would be unobstructed. <laughs> yeah, but everybody sees you, and there's nothing I hate more than like knowing that everybody's looking at the back of my head. I just don't like that feeling. So that would be quite the. There's pros and cons to being Randy Johnson, right? I mean, well, I think that's why he had the long hair in the back, so he didn't have to see people. They call that a like, mullet. Oh, <laughs> he had the mullet. I thought it was a safety <laughs> yeah. plank. 
Uh, you you kind of buried the lead there, Eddie, and I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, hotel or was it hotel security? Was it petroleum cup? What was it? I went from hotel at the La Valencia in La Jolla, which is a nice place. Uh, I lived in a place called La Mesa, but then I worked on the coast, and then uh, and then <laughs> parlayed that midnight shift experience into the midnight shift at the petroleum company, which then I got to be, uh, I supervised the whole security team. Oh boy. Yeah. I worked my way. So what kind of security guard were you? Were you like a, I'm going to, I'm imagining it's not the hardo security guard that got into it to like run people down in the parking lot, but are you the chill security guard? You catch a kid smoking a J you probably share one with him or, uh, (laughs) what kind of security guard was Eddie Vedder? Well, it was by the time I got to the, the, uh, you know, the, the real, the real thing about that job is that you could work a couple hours when you got there and then a couple hours before you left. And then, so four hours in between, you could kind of do stuff that you would like to do, whether it was, you know, read a book, uh, you, you could, you know, uh, bring your four track you might even do a little recording you might program a drum machine you know you'd have four hours where you were getting paid to do something that you like to do i mean you had to be aware of something was going on but of course um, petroleum company was was uh, a a pretty lonely place and it was that's just how i like it (laughs) (laughs) yeah that makes sense actually uh yeah I just, uh, I was, I learned that today as I was doing a little side reading and, uh, and I didn't picture you as like the mall cop type. I pictured you as the the nice chill security guard. Well, I didn't have the, you know, even at the La Valencia when we'd get into some issues with, you know, either drunk people or especially like drunk, wealthy people. Um, <laughs> they have a brand, don't they? That's a different kind of uh, deal. So, you know, it was more... You know, I knew a few kind of judo holds and, and some oh. kind of takedown moves, but really it was more, you know, using your intellect. And, and you know, it's not hard to to uh, uh, out, outdo your... To think circles around a rich drunk guy? Yeah. It's I mean, hard. Well, I mean it, it can be tough because there's no using logic. But, you know, <laughs> in the end, you'd kind of get them to do what you want to do. There's different ways of... Jeff, I keep saying this. I've said it. I said it when I had Flea on. I pitted you guys against each other when it comes to athleticism because, I mean, we know your basketball (laughs) background, which is tremendous. There's a lot of good hoops up in the Northwest. I'm not even bullshitting. That hoop fest I used to play in was unbelievable in Polson, Montana. Some of the guys, I saw a fucking guy jump over a Mustang. Uh, Like, I'm like, where do these guys come from up here? But Flea uh, talked at length about your athleticism. Um, are you the best athlete uh, from the grunge era out of all those bands? <laughs> I don't even know if I'm the best athlete in the band. Who's the best athlete <clears throat> in the band? You got to tell me Matt now. Matt Cameron. If you can play that drum uh, that for three hours. Then... I, I, yeah, I think in terms of organized uh, you know, athletics, um, I think I've... You know, I played high school football and basketball and all that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm a humble guy. So. <laughs> all right. Well, what, what was your vert at the best? Because uh, I know you know this number and there's nothing subjective about this. Just give us the numbers. Jeff, yeah. Um, Jeff's vert. Yeah. High school, I had 38-inch vertical. 
I get, I could dunk the ball, both hands, five, 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 ten, five, eleven kid on, on a tile floor. So I've seen it. I've seen it in my fucking yard. <laughs> my dad used to have a basketball hoop and Scott Skiles would come over and Jeff would come over. Man, that was the best. <laughs> Garden Scott Skiles. Did you get that hoop fest? Did Scott, did Scott give you the, that work or did you shut him down? No, he crushed me. He, and John Crotty too. Do you remember John Crotty? Do you remember that guy? He was a, he was a yeah, 10 year yeah. NBA player. Those guys served me up, man. Cause I, I was, I was, I was a little bit older than those guys. There's, we have a, I have a great Scotty Skiles story. He came to a show in Indianapolis right after uh, I met him that summer. And I remember looking over mid show. Cause I usually didn't look out into the crowd until mid show. And I saw him like third row, just giving it up, just like fist heads going up and down. Mm-hmm. And every time that I looked out there for the next hour and a half, the fist and the head was gone the entire <laughs> time. And then after the show, I found, I went back to our little family room and he had polished off two cases of beer. <laughs> so he was, he was oiled up for the, for that show. But it's, it's such a great memory. I, as soon as somebody mentions Scott Skiles, I, I, all I can see is him in the we crowd. We tend to get pretty fucked you know, up at your shows. Yeah. Athletes. I think he was just trying to keep hydrated. Cause if you do that consistently, <laughs> right, right. Right. And what's the who, what's the limit speaking of hydration on what are you slugging up there is it Merlot or is it when I, at the show in St. Louis at least you look like you had some nice expensive wine that you were powering through. What's your wine of choice on stage? All right, I'm going to be honest. There's there's usually two bottles. And one is the good stuff. That you know, you don't want to hurt your throat with, you know. Yeah. And then the other is more the stuff that I share, which is still good. It's not like low rack. It's still upper medium, but it's not the, you know. So give me, what's the, what's the and, upper and, medium? But, what's but, middle but management what, look like? But here's what happens. I will run out of the, the cheaper stuff. And then I will go to the top shelf to keep bartending for the front row. So... Depending on, you know, your luck that night. In fact, some people, I'm curious, did they like the first one better than the second? You know, some people get, but uh, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of a choice and um, I have X's on, on the top of the cork. So I know what I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to take a big slug right before a big song, like nothing man or something and have it be the wrong stuff. You see that? And then I'm going to have hard times getting through the, the bridge you can't be slugging box wine before nothing man can't no. be drinking franzia before no. uh i mean maybe before a lie for something i mean if i was on a beach and it was three in the morning it would i, I would make do but, yeah definitely i mean we got to be resourceful with other people you gotta kind of yeah but can i can i go back jeff do you think that scotty skiles remember do you remember See, back in the day, Seattle. It, oh, I know this story. <laughs> it didn't snow much, maybe That's once every three years, and they had the biggest snow in four or five years. The first winter I was there, I believe. I remember me and Cornell going down a big, whatever that huge Queen Anne was. Yeah, I mean, Queen Anne. Good God, um, I don't even remember. Were we on piece sledding? of cardboard or something? Y'all were sledding. Just whatever just saw, we found yeah, on the th- side of the street, trash cans. Or- yeah, and I think we might have had a couple of those like roll out slick, slick 
things, you know, like, mm. I don't know what those things were called, but I'm too old to be on one at this point. (laughs) Yes. Jeff's got some good seats. uh, And we, we go in, in he's, he's one block. He lives one block away. I mean, this is what an amazing, you know, when I first met Jeff, I was like, this guy, he's got it all figured out. He lives a block and a half from Seattle center. And Sonics are playing. You just walk over. Now, no one else could get there. In fact, a couple of players barely made it. Uh, Benoit Benjamin made it, but he only had one shoot. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was the place was empty. Yeah. It was probably less than 150 people. And they were playing, was it Miami or Orlando? Orlando, Scott. yeah. And everybody started getting on Scotty Skiles. And you could hear every word. <laughs> I mean, there was some. <laughs> Fuck you, Scotty. Intense. Right, Do you right. think he knew, Jeff Scott? Do you think he knew that when you played him? That you I think we. T- I think we talked about it. I think, and he he acted like he didn't remember. And, and I I think he had like fifteen or eighteen assists that game too. He was. I think they. I think they beat us. You kept. And, he, and then he and he had a little bit of a thing going on with the crowd. Like he, if somebody said something, you kind of look at him and then drop a crazy dime to Horace Grant or whoever was the, That's I can't amazing. remember who the big guy was. That's but. amazing. He had a good game. Scotty was a good player. You guys party with a lot of players from different sports. I mean, <laughs> you know, you guys have been all over the place in the sports world after the big game, which is cool. Cause like, I don't know. I always feel weird when I'm backstage with y'all. Cause not that I'm backstage with y'all a lot, but if I go back to see MMJ and some of my buddies that I might know a little bit, I just don't want to like take up people's time. Um, but I, when I've talked to my friends, I realize that everybody's just hanging out. And if you're chill, you're chill. You guys are always in athlete circles too. Who parties the best? I have my hierarchy of <laughs> athlete partiers that I've talked about on this pod. Where do you rank a hang when it comes to the big four in the United States? The best for me was when the Cubs got to the World Series in 2016. Uh, the night they uh, they clinched, and um, I was fortunate enough to be invited to this guy John Lester's house. He's got this great family, um, his wife Farah, and these great kids, and and it was mainly wives and and family. Lester's parents, which are great, they're from Northwest, and and then we were all playing music on the back porch. It was just this great thing. It went on and on, and and then Theo and I, Theo Epstein. Mm. who who can hang with the best or the best can hang with him <laughs> um we went back to the ballpark we went to the batting cage we said that you know it's three in the morning and and a lot of uh whiskey later and and uh john had the best whiskey and and then we're just taking swings and laughing those three of us and then we went out to we went out to the field and we we just were laughing. We were just laughing at the reality that the Cubs <laughs> were going to the World Series with a good team. And and then we ended up laying in middle of center field, just the two of us like kids, right? Just laughing. We were just we weren't even talking. We were just laughing. And then we'd get quiet and we'd start laughing. And we could hear people in the neighborhood still, three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, still you know, going at it, celebrating. It's like a nice roped off section in a nightclub. It's like the best (laughs) roped off section in a fucking nightclub of all time. 
oh man then the sun started started to light up a little bit and we were just and then we heard people singing um like all the way which was a song that ernie banks asked me to write and, and i'd written and 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 we just we just looked at each other just wow wow this is this is amazing this is incredible i think good things are going to happen and they did baseball has baseball they have a lot of practice they're able to imbibe with regularity you can play that game with a hangover i can remember in high school i was it was an automatic dinger day for me if i if i snuck out and had a field party or something the night before jeff i'll tell you for me it's hockey hands down for me it's hockey cuz those guys they're helmet guys like you know like if you hang out with basketball guys they're different they're you know they're great dudes they just their faces everywhere they're 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 famous so i i might feel uneasy hanging out with somebody who's so famous hockey guys they they kind of they revel in the anonymity the relative anonymity and they they just they go about their lives like they're just fucking regular dudes that's why i really like hockey hangs and being a blues fan hanging out with those guys after the cup in LA for the Espies was the best cross sport hang I've ever had. So shout out to those guys. How about you, Jeff? Well, uh, you know, in terms of a hang that where I feel comfortable, I think, I think I've, I've felt most comfortable around uh, skateboarders. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. There was a show at Madison Square Garden um, maybe 10, 12 years ago. And I think Band Horses opened up for us that show. Um, but, um, there's this guy, Steve Olson, who's like one of the all-time characters, um, uh, old pro skateboarder, um, who uh, sort of uh, turned skateboarders, you know, onto punk rock back in the day. Um, he's an artist, but it was him and McEnroe and like uh, my friends, uh, Buddy and Rick, who are both East Coast guys. Um, my wife, Pandora, was there. <laughs> she was the only girl. This guy, Tony Farmer. Um, but it was, I think it's the only time that I closed uh, the backstage down. I mm -hmm. think um, I think typically I'm one of the first guys out. So um. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the musician, <laughs> the musician that I got drunkest with besides my good friend Patrick Callahan. We shut down Bonnaroo. It might have been the year that you guys played Bonnaroo. And I was, it was my flu game. I got the flu. <laughs> the day you guys played, my flu game was going to the, the y'all's show and then getting drunk and getting sicker. Uh, Alto Reed of Bob Seeger fame, saxophonist. Somehow I ended up with him after a show. And when I tell you this guy can still fucking hang at however old he is, I want to shout out Alto Reed. Guy's a legend. For those of you younger folks who don't know who Alto Reed is, when you hear that the most famous saxophone chord is that how i would say it chord is it a chord uh, yeah. 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 a riff yeah <laughs> when you hear that shit and you know exactly what i'm talking about that is the legend alto reed and i got drunk with him in a ritz carlton somehow <laughs> what's his real name i don't know i didn't ask his real name you don't you're not supposed to ask musicians their real names dude right that's like you know come on this is my fucking stage name I, you know it is what it is if you get him drunk enough. Yeah, I guess he wouldn't have remembered. Um, <laughs> would you guys do a Super Bowl ever since we're on sports? Like, Have you ever thought about the prospect of doing a halftime show at a big big game like that? I, I, I respect people who do it because I, I, I think there's a, a bit of movie magic that they 
uh, are, are forced to navigate um, with part of it being a little bit lip synced, a little bit playing to track just because the, uh, the, the, the timing, the short time they have to set up a, a bunch of gear in the, you know, in the middle of the field, it's not, it's not necessarily live and, and the, uh, you're really kind of putting your, your neck on the line as far as what, you know, all the, the bad things that could happen. Um, but, uh, knowing, you know, having watched Springsteen do it and, and some of the greats, um, you know, the stones did it and, and it was kind of loose. I'm not sure what they demanded to, to really kind of play it live, but, it was kind of loose and scrappy and, and I, I really liked that part of it. Um, one, I remember I was, I was sitting with my uncle watching Prince play and, and it was raining and, and there was kind of these ramps and, and he was just killing it. And, and, and here it was this kind of downpour. And I said, I, I can't believe I told my uncle, I, I that's some dangerous shit he's doing right there. And, and he said, because of the, the rain and the electricity and the microphones. I said, no, that the, the fucking heels. He's doing that. In yeah, heels. that was my first thought. <laughs> <laughs> like six inch platforms. Yeah. Right. I, was Where? that 06? Was that the rain game with Indy? I think, I think it was, a, I think the bears were playing. That's yeah. Then it would have been the, if it was a Super Bowl, it would have been back when I was in school when we, I watched that game. Uh, you guys almost had it, but uh, Peyton Manning's first ring there. You guys have done some crazy shit on stage. I mean, like, I always Never wonder. Wore heels. And, no, you haven't worn <laughs> heels, and you couldn't do some of the things I'm about to mention here in heels. I've seen you, Eddie, in the '90s. Like a lot of these folks back in festivals were different back then, were they not? They were. They were just the energy felt a little different. I go to Bonner every year, but it's like it's a younger kids game, and it's like it's just not as loose. It feels like for good reason in some in some ways. You climbed up on the thing that uh, it's like 40 feet over the, the crowd and jumped down. I don't know. Maybe it looked like 40 feet to me. What's the highest stage dive you've ever done, Ed? Uh, I think I, I thought it was going to be the last one, and it was it was Earth Day. We were kind of ending the tour, and we were in uh, we were at a club called Iguanas in, in Tijuana, uh, south of San Diego, and... Um, and I thought it was going to be the last one. So I, I, I went to this third level and then I thought maybe I can even go higher. And then I went on the railing of the third level. And, and that was a little, that was a little silly. I think that was like the highest of the, the evil can evil diving ones, but, but the highest, I, the, the, the crazy one was the San Diego one. That one I actually, I, I thought I was going to throw Del Mar. it because it was it was bad. It it shouldn't have. I don't know what I was thinking. And um, yeah, I kind of committed to make this move to climb on this I beam, but it wasn't really an I beam. There was no there was nothing to hold on to, and I was it would be like crawling upside down. I was just hanging off this thing, and I had to go upside down and get about twenty feet to where the chain was that was holding the light thing hanging above the stage and then I was going to slide down that and then and then I had someone throw me the mic and then I slid I down saw this that. one but, I mean I saw this was, one that was that was not good and and I remember my brothers were 
And I think even my mom was in the audience because it was San Diego. And I, and I thought just, you cannot die in front of your mom. You cannot die in front of your mom. So she saved my life on that one. I had that same thought a couple of months ago, Jeff, doing the cliff dive up there on the lake. My mom, I made her come to take a video. And I was like, if you die in front of your mom, you are the biggest asshole of all time. What does it feel like when you hit uh, like a sea of bodies from 25 feet up? Like, does it hurt? Do they hurt? What, what happens? Is there a technique? Kidneys, uh, kidney damage. <laughs> yeah, I remember in the old days, like I, I would feel like, well, I, that was cool. Like I, I didn't really, I didn't feel hurt or anything. And then I, and then I'd go to take a shower at two in the morning in a little Best Western or whatever. Jeff and I shared a room or whatever. We came to Moscow. Oh wait, no, it was Super Eight. Um the econo holiday you know uh -huh. howard johnson yeah. this kind of thing but uh but then taking a shower and, and going oh fuck it would it was like you got shoved over the reef surfing you know just so many scratches on your back and and you know you'd, you'd lose some patches of hair and you know you wouldn't feel you know the adrenaline kept you from feeling anything See, but that then you know later on in the night you'd, you'd be like oh but then, but then the next night the music would start, and then you'd find yourself <clears throat> in a similar position, and then you, and then it it might have even felt like the Who when they smashed their instruments is like, oh, I think they kind of want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. You guys both do the extreme sports in my eyes. I mean, Jeff's out there doing ollies and shit, I you know, and all types <laughs> of crazy stuff. Concrete looks terrifying to fall onto with a skateboard under you. But Jeff, do you ever, have you ever surfed? Cause I, surfers to me are psychotic. I mean, it's in, I know Eddie likes to surf. Do you think what you do is scarier at the skate park or what Jeff or what Eddie does? Uh, oh man, <clears throat> I, I think, it, you know, I, I do uh, surf a little bit. Um, I, uh, and I think because that's not where I, you know, I mean, I grew up inland mm. um, uh, and I'm a little bit more comfortable with the skateboard underneath my feet. So when, when you go under a head high plus wave and get held under the water for 20 to 30 seconds, that's fucking scary. That's that, that that's, that's like, you know, and, and you don't know which way is up and which way is down and you're kind of bumping the bottom a little bit. And that feeling is, that's that's worse than splatting on the concrete, I think. Eddie, have you ever been close to dying surfing? Uh, I think the closest I came to dying was in the water was we uh, we got in a, a canoe accident and some big waves. It was a sailing canoe. There was uh, six of us on there. And we got into a, a hectic situation and I was kind of uh, lost at sea for a couple hours. And, and that that was not looking good. Um, but as far as waves, you know, is that, that hold down thing, you really just got to relax and enjoy the ride, you know, and, and singers, they're pretty good at holding their breath. And as long as you get that last breath, um, you're pretty good. And then when you're, when you, when you resurface, you just got to get ready. Cause there's probably another one about to land on your head. So, and sharks. Ah, mm -hmm. uh, you, you, well, I shouldn't, we just don't, you guys just don't talk about it, do you? Kind of thing, no. 
Um, it's what keeps me out of the water. I'll just leave it there. I just, I don't know how you guys <laughs> picked the, where the God put the best fucking waves where the biggest great white sharks are. They're all well, just hanging out there. That works out. It, it cuts down on the crowd a little bit. And, um, <laughs> you know. We talked about the, the stage stuff. I saw you lick the shoe one time. When's the next time you're going to be able to confidently lick a shoe at a concert? <laughs> With everything going on right now, you're probably not licking any shoes. But let's say live music. Maybe I'll serve this one up to Jeff. Jeff, we've talked about this offline. Yeah. When is it coming back and what's it going to look like? Is it going to be wait? I know the, the, we have to acknowledge that no matter what we say, we have no idea. The virus sets a timeline, but are there conversations in the music industry about when it might come back? Well, I, I think most of the people in the, in the music industry are really hopeful. Um, I think, I think, uh, those people are hoping that next year at some point there is some music being played. And then you hear scientists talk right? <laughs> and uh, it feels less hopeful when you hear those folks talk. Um, I, I, I read an article a couple of days ago and it was, I mean, it was, you know, Bleak. a bit of reality that seemed like, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, he was talking like two to five years before there was going to be, a bunch of people in a big room together. <clears throat> so, you know, I, you know, if we get new leadership and we're doing things the right way and people start wearing masks and we knock this thing down, you know, I think our chances of, get, of doing it again will be sooner. But, um, but what keep... do scientists know, Jeff? Like, what, do, I mean, like, <laughs> what do you, you, you shouldn't be going to scientists for this type of information or doctors for that matter. I, uh, right. I'm hopeful, man. I, I was when this whole thing started like every other idiot that was just like, hey, we'll just get through this fast. It's going to be really bad, but we'll get through it fast. I, I, I just don't believe the new normal is the new normal. I was excited about Ohana. Yeah. That was coming up. I mean, uh, that was like my light at the end of the tunnel. Ohana's, it's not going to be for a while, it looks like. Guys, Neil Young is the godfather of grunge, right? We got to talk about Neil for a second before I let you go, but everybody knows that. Who are the uncles? Who are like, who are the, the 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 guys behind the scenes that you look at as as not getting enough credit from eras before you? Oh man, big list. I think uh, Jeff and I would agree. It's it's mostly you know the people that we were so inspired by that that will are not and maybe will not be in things like you know institutions like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something. But it's everyone from. Sonic Youth to Fugazi to Jello Biafra and the Dead Kennedys, um, you know, the, the, that kind of, you know, those were the, they were exploratory bands, they, they were um, inventive, they were political, they were everything that you wanted to be in a band, as a band, and, um, you know, the, the, as far as recognition, those are the heroes that, that won't have the same kind of mainstream and, and not that they would want it, but, um, but those for me are um, some of the purest uh, musicians to have ever taken the stage. You mentioned we, we, you know, Neil and he's had incredible 
long run of making great music, which is not a given uh, in y'all's profession. It seems really hard for people to hang on to that creativity and he's just got this gift. Bruce came out with an album this week, I guess, or so made cute. some new music, which is awesome to see the boss making music. And you guys, it feels like you've never left. I mean, you've you've done different things and you've experimented, but you're still kicking ass and taking names. What's the key to longevity? And did you ever imagine as 20-somethings that you'd be still rock stars at this age? You know, and I'm not trying to make you sound old, but it's been a long time you guys have been at this thing. Man, I, you know, the secret's probably a, a lot of luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we, we all, we're all alive, which is like a, a big one. And then somehow we just navigated through some of the tougher times. Uh, and I think maybe we all just had just enough tolerance, you know, of each other and, and enough respect for each other that we sort of got through that, those moments, you know, like it's hard to understand, you know, like, because we've, we certainly have, you know, friends and, and that had bands for 10 or 15 years that didn't, didn't make it out the other side of it for different reasons. And, sometimes you thought that those bands were the ones that were going to be doing it forever. Um, and, and hanging out with Neil Young was, was huge. You know, Neil definitely said things to us. You know, I, I remember us all being in the room one time and him saying, don't worry about what people think. Like, you know, the, the love they have for you is going to ebb and flow and just keep making your music. Your music's the most important thing. And that was like, you know, and, and then we got to watch him do it for another 25 years after he told us that and he's he's still doing it he's still doing it he's still marching to his own beat and you know every record that he puts out is like so committed and so 100 percent him and and sure. yet all over the place you know and so it's hard not to be inspired by those kind of guys or, or bruce or you know any of the guys that have been doing it forever i mean i uh I got about halfway through the Bruce movie the other night and just, you know, him talking about 45 years of playing with these guys and, you know, how much, how much love is in the room. And that, and I feel this, I, you know, I feel the same way with about us, you know, um, you know, I, there's really, there's at this point, there's really nothing better than that. There's nothing better than uh, being in the room with the, with the fellas and, you know, Hearing, hearing what's up with everybody and Mike and Stone are riffing back and forth with jokes. You know, it's, it's, it's our home. It's our home. It's like, uh, you know, there's, there's something that exists when the five of us get in a room that doesn't exist anywhere else. And it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of love and there's a, there's some magic in that too, that is hard to explain. And I was going to add and, and just say again, like Jeff said, it, I think the key was, relationships and and everything we had been through and and having those things end up end up making us stronger but um you know all through that probably what really was the fuel to kind of you know keep you know the keep fuel in the tank was our relationship with the audience and 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 the fact that they were there for us or they were there for us when we we tried a little something different or they were there for us when we went against Ticketmaster and we were going to have a whole bunch of hoops to go through to get a crowd together. You know, that might happen in the future. There might be some hoops to go through to, to try something new. 
um, while we're waiting for, you know, science to resolve some of this, um, these issues we're dealing with now. But, but you know, the relationship with the, the band was the biggest one. But again, we don't get through that with, without the support of, you know, so many people like across the friggin' planet. You know, that's that's just been huge, just huge. And, and to, you know, because we're, we're kind of, you know, especially we're, we're not the most touring band ever out there. And, and to kind of when we kind of get back together and do our thing and get a plan and then and then show up and go to South America or something and, and then have the kind of um, response and acceptance and excitement and energy that you get from 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 crowds it's it's really it's like it's almost like you know we have to stay together <laughs> right, right. The, the only difference is the stage dives feel a little bit different in the morning are they too <laughs> um hey guys i really appreciate the time you've been very gracious i uh want to give you more, one more chance to direct people to uh to your voting initiative jeff do you want to do the honors yeah, uh, text uh, PJ Votes to 52886, uh, or you can visit uh, pearljam.com and yeah, you can get all the information there. Um, when you do vote, uh, get on your states. Uh, there's there's uh, ballot follow uh, uh, programs out there. You, uh, I think in Pennsylvania, it's like vote.pa. Um, and just, uh, you know, stick with it and uh, we'll get out the other side of this thing and. <laughs> We'll get out of the show for you. We, we need you. There's voter suppression. Oh my God. There's voter intimidation. Um, a lot of, a lot of, you know, th these are things that have not been as big of an issue. Uh, again, there's, there's more divisiveness being uh, created these days than ever. So really um, be there for each other. Um, be there for your country. Um, we, you know, there's there's so much there's there's so many good things up ahead even though there's been so much to deal with lately but um this is a big big first step so uh, be energized and, and excited that you can you can take some control here um hopefully there'll be a lot to celebrate soon and chris can i say a uh a hello from uh, bradley cooper yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. he's a good one yeah yeah he sounds like he's uh He's a great person, man, from everything I hear. So I, ne I never met him. I know the Philly connection. And before, long before I was an Eagle, I thought Silver Linings Playbook was like, I mean, he was out of this world and captured the whole Eagles thing. They say Eagles in, in Philly and that whole thing. But man, I can't wait to have him on someday or hopefully we'll get him. But um, sounds like a great dude. So tell him I said hello as well. Will do. Yeah, he's a good human. And uh, let's go do it, guys, man. A couple weeks left. Uh, yeah. Again, get out and vote. We can turn this thing. Let's be optimistic. I like what Eddie had to say because a lot of days it's like, uh, how do we do this? You throw your hands up, and I think that's natural. Let's redirect each other towards being positive and getting it done. Appreciate you guys. All right. See you in the flathead. Yeah, buddy. I got you, Chris. Cheers. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Eddie. Yeah. Cheers. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding. So head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so many storylines across both professional and collegiate sports, this is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. To celebrate the showdown in Happy Valley, 
DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to turn $1 into $100 when placing a bet on either Ohio State or Penn State. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code GREENLIGHT when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick either Penn State or Ohio State, bet $1 on them, and cash $100 if they win. That's right, $1 to win $100 when you use promo code GREENLIGHT during sign-up. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of first deposit bonus and first bet match. Each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLE. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Well, that was awesome. It was a dream come true. Those guys are amazing. And uh, at certain points during a Zoom, looking up and seeing, really, it's hearing Eddie Vedder's voice. <laughs> You're like, man, this is cool. Nice little podcast here. And I get to see my bro, Jeff, amen. So I appreciate those dudes and they have certainly walked the walk off stage. So, um, top five Pearl Jam songs, maybe listen, they change week to week. You know, I, I hate settling on a decision on a list like this. I jotted five, six songs down indifference, tremor, Christ, immortality release. I mean, Jeremy's so chalky, but I love the song do the evolution. Yeah, there's a few there. And honestly, you could put almost any song on 10 there. And I know, or Vitology is like, you know, a 1B, but 10 is just powerful, no skips. You just, I feel like it'd be unfair to put more than one song on this list. Immortality is a song that I used to listen to, a quick reminder before the Super Bowl. And uh, I, uh, I would listen to it on the bus to you know the super bowl in houston i can i can remember like flashes of driving to the game with that on and then also leading up to the minnesota game i've told this story before we're doing our last dress rehearsal before going to minnesota in uh in philly at the stadium it's bitter cold that day and me and LeGarrette Blunt are old so we're like the last people at the locker room putting like 50 layers on so i think i don't I'm okay in the cold. I'm not a sleeve guy, but it was fucking cold that day. And I just didn't think it's practice. And we're rushing through the, uh, the bowels of Lincoln financial field, like the, the hallways. And he's ahead of me and you know, the cleats are cracking on the concrete. So I'm not, I can't hear what's on the radio, but I stop walking and there's like construction workers or something listening to one of those DeWalt radios and sure as fuck the song is immortality Pearl jam and it's Eddie's voice and it hits me like a ton of bricks. I'm walking through the hall and I don't believe in superstition all the time or like jinxes and shit. But when I heard that song, we're winning the super bowl because it's me, it's the song and there's LeGarrette Blount 20 feet in, in front of me and we're the last guys out <laughs> <laughs> and we're the two guys from new England and we're playing new England. I was like, yeah, we're going to win this game. Thanks to Pearl jam. Um, so yeah, those are probably my favorite songs. Anyways, this is a football podcast. Don't panic. Uh, not that if you're panicking over Pearl jam coming on the pod and you're like, Oh, Pearl jam's taking away my hollow man award this week's hollow man. I really need to get to the, tell me about air yards and shit. And you're not worried about the Pearl jam. I think you might be, listen to the wrong podcast friend uh let me just give you 20 minutes of football okay monday night football 
Cam Newton, Justin Herbert. That's all I'm going to hit today. We'll save the rest for Friday. And Friday's going to be fun. Uh, a lot has gone down in the NFL world. I feel like as the stakes get higher, there's more shit to talk about. And this week is no exception. Monday night was one of those situations where I feel like it's a little bit of, well, it's a lot of Nick needs to play better, but it's also a lot of truly he has to get the ball out um, if he wants to succeed there. And they have to design route concepts to reflect that because they do have holes in on the offensive line. That's There's no... There's no doubt about it. And the thing that came out of that game, besides the fact that Johnny Hecker is a fucking robot that kicks the dog shit out of a football, like human beings should not be able to punt the ball with the accuracy and power that he does. Um, also great dude and a friend of water boys. He is a water boy, a representative of our, uh, our clean water initiative. So that's my dog. It's great to see a punter get some airtime, but you also know when, it, when you come out of a game and one of the biggest headlines is the punter, the game kind of sucked. The only reason I was watching it, Chicago plus 16 teaser. It is really great to win a big teaser on a Monday from last week. Um, but it's even bigger when the guy that makes it happen for you is a former friend, Robert Quinn, looking out for his boy, right? Forced to fumble in the, uh, in the wee hours of Monday night when Chicago was down 21. Eddie Jackson picked it up, ran it in for a score uh, because I was not covering that bet uh, if I was relying on that Chicago offense. They were bad. Um, but... What did make me happy watching that game was probably the biggest smile I've had on my face watching sports this year. And it was the interaction between those two gigantic fucking kids after the game, Aaron Donald and Robert Quinn. Seeing those guys hang out after the game was like seeing two toddlers post pandemic that have not seen each other yet uh, for like six months. And they're just so happy, man. It's just, that was some pure joy. That's friendship right there. That's brotherhood, man. I know that because, you know, we were part of a really fun group in St. Louis and, you know, like any really good group, it doesn't matter how good you are, it gets broken up. And, you know, Robert Quinn, myself, William Hayes, Kendall Langford, Eugene Sims, Nick Fairley for a bit. Um, Brockers is obviously still out there with Aaron. We just had like a fun fucking group and Mike Waffle was our coach and we worked hard. We really pushed each other. It was miserable at times. The standard was so high in that room. Um, but when I look back, it was the most fun I ever had playing football. You know, we really did everything together um, and we loved each other, man. And, and it's great to see, you know, dudes, I mean, we have a little group text, but you know, kids are the enemy of a group text and uh, group texts, it's just, it's, it's good to see people get to see each other in real life, especially right now where you don't get to hang out with a lot of friends outside of your own team. When you're on the, the Rams or the bears, um, those guys catching up after the game really made me happy. And it was like, they just couldn't st stop giving bro hugs. And I was like, I wanted to hug the TV. I was just sitting there staring at Twitter and, uh, and, and hanging out with the only friends I have, my, my followers, on social media. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it was cool seeing those guys and the, and the two things that came up quarterback wise this week that really interested me. And I do, um, NFL next with Kay Adams, James Coe, Andrew Hawkins. Those guys are awesome. Um, but we, we, we recorded our show earlier. We taped it and two quarterback topics that popped up that I thought were really interesting. 
on the surface, I would think they were fucking boring. But when I started going through it, I was like, this is, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of quarterback stuff going on right now. You know, we talk about Nick Foles. One of the conversations is kind of at this point, it's fair to ask. And I know no one thought we'd get here. Although I thought this, this was maybe more of a realistic, um, a realistic situation than, than maybe some Nick Foles or Cam Newton, you know, all the shit that Nick Foles is catching on the internet right now for being so streaky for having his low moments. Like people are legitimately asking, and this was one of the questions that came up today on the show is like, would you take Nick Foles or Cam Newton the rest of the year? My answer is Nick Foles. Uh, on any given year, it's going to be Cam Newton, but Cam Newton's not right right now. And the question that was being asked on the show is what's what's going on with the Patriots and what's going on with Cam? I don't know. I'm not a quarterback. Uh, but if I had to take a guess, I don't think he's right physically. But I, I knew that was a possibility going into the year. And everybody wanted to make it seem like it was just so – it was so out of left field to speculate about a guy's guy's health. Who's played quarterback, like a running back. And I don't mean that like he, he hasn't thrown the ball. Well, he is a great passer, but he has had the workload on the ground of an NFL running back for 10 years. And he, you can be a passer first, all you want. He was, he was a killer out of the pocket. He was great. But the QB run game that you had to use, I mean, it's just tantalizing to have a guy who's basically a fucking tight end with the agility of a running back back there uh, in his younger years. Um, you have to use it. It just opens up a whole nother element to your offense. That's a heavy load to carry for a long time. And so I thought it was reasonable to ask, you know, is he going to make it through the year healthy? And I'm not saying it's over in any form or fashion, but you know, it is trending there. Like it, it just, it's people are asking, I hate saying people are asking. It sounds like a fucking joke. You know, is it Stidham time? You know, how many more bad games? I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm not one to, to just demolish a quarterback for a bad month. I think that patience, it really depends on the situation and the player uh, involved. This is now a pattern uh, and he hasn't been right health wise in a couple of years. So, you know, look at this. The, the roster in New England is really remarkably average when you look at it. Look at the opt outs they had this year. They weren't that great a football team coming into the season. I mean, they were going to be scrappy and well coached. And I thought vie for, you know, a playoff spot. And possibly if you got good quarterback play out of Cam, the AFC East, you're not getting good quarterback play out of Cam. And the problem is they're not a good roster around him. And they had the opt-outs to compound it on defense, which was their strength last year, but also overvalued because of who, who they played early in the season. So while you were looking at stats of the 85 Bears versus the 2019 Patriots and you were buying it, they were getting ready to play like Miami and then Jacksonville. And then, you know, like, I don't know if they played those teams. I can't remember. I know they played Miami, but I don't remember them playing Jacksonville. They were not playing talented offenses. And they also had a run of really poor quarterbacks they were playing. And they were getting after them because they're well-coached. They play hard. And they had a dude who can take uh, your number one receiver away. And you just don't have to worry about him. And Stephon Gilmore. And the, the secondary was very good. But the pass rush was kind of like, eh. They had to produce a lot of sacks. 
And if they had to win one-on-ones, it wasn't really. So what I mean to say is even their strength last year being a little overvalued, it regressed because of COVID they haven't drafted well the last 10 years. Um, and offensively, there's not a lot of weapons. It's ironic for cam to be used to the weapons. The one thing that's different for him in, in, in new England that he didn't have in Carolina was a functioning offensive line, ironically, but he's not, he can't take advantage of it because he's not right. Physically. I can just dude. It's one thing to get to game one healthy as a football player. How are you going to feel four, five, six weeks in? Not just a quarterback here, but a guy who's running the football with regularity, designed runs, and he's a big man, and he's been at it a long time, and he's been a great player, but he's not great right now. And that happens. And I really think what's happened is we bought the Seattle game which I didn't know they really had in them. I didn't know they could play catch up, but I also don't think we realized how bad Seattle's defense was week two. Um, and we forgot about week one, him going like, you know, 15 for 19 or something for like 150 and no touchdowns. It was a very average day at the office, subdued. Then, you know, you have the Vegas game and you're thinking, uh, not so great, but he just had the Seattle game. Then he gets COVID. Then he comes back and they look terrible against the Broncos. And you're thinking, and I was thinking, I'm writing this off as COVID and prep because these guys are so good up there prepping. You know, it has to be that. Nope. Um, it's Cam's not well because we saw it the next week, uh, this past Sunday against the Niners, and they look terrible. I mean, they, they really look bad. And when you look at him throw, everything looks to be a strain. Watch him throw those snapshots. And again, I'm no quarterback, but I've talked to guys who know. And his head is like sideways. He's just got to muscle the ball out right now. And, you know, I know the Liz Frank's been an issue. I don't know if it's a push off thing, but he's not throwing the ball to the right side of the field. Look that up. Google that shit. This is a thing. Look at the fucking chart, like a, a, a you know, a, a heat chart on a basketball court, like where all the shots were taken. They got that thing for cam and the whole right side is open the last couple of weeks. So whatever it is, I don't think he's right uh, physically. And if he's not right now for them to sustain the pace uh, and keep up in the AFC East, they can't just abandon the physicality of their run game. They're not good enough to be a run, run football team without that quarterback run game gimmick um, that Cam allows you to execute. Now he's got to stand back there and make throws. I hope he's okay, man. I really am rooting for him, but it just doesn't look right. And uh, we'll know after Buffalo, I think, where he's going to go from here. And then the Patriots have to decide, do we kind of throw the talent on this year without doing it and see what we have in the future with Jared Stenham? Um, I'm not advocating for it. I got to be careful when I even mention the word bench or quarterback change because fucking WIP, you know, used a clip on social this week of me saying, I'm worried about the decision-making that could go on after, uh, that last Eagles loss. If the Eagles had lost to, uh, the giants last Thursday night, and they made it sound like I'm calling for a quarterback change. I'm not calling for quarterback change, but I am analyzing the hypothetical. And in the hypothetical that he looks like he looked Sunday against the Bills, we could be talking about it. More than likely, we would be talking about it because we did see Stidham for a bit on Sunday. I do want to say this, though. You know, like, I have long admired Cam Newton's game. Uh, that is a football player to the core. 
Um, and he has fun that pisses people off. He's brash. He's a playmaker. And for some people, he's a black quarterback. And, you know, he's been unapologetic about being who the fuck he is. And there's also some fair critiques of Cam Newton. I have at times thought, hey, guy's a little bit of a front runner. Guy sometimes doesn't, you know, stand tall after a loss, you know, and kind of moped a little bit in Carolina. I thought those were fair. I thought there were also really unfair criticisms of him that people were just waiting for Cam to fuck up and being unreasonable about his football career, which has been stellar, really just fucking great. And that's why Bill probably took a shot at him because he respected him so much from watching him the last decade. There were a lot of people that saw Cam having fun in, in stretch line and warmups uh, in Foxborough during training camp. And I saw the tweets that were like, wait till, you know, he has his bad game. You know, he's happy now. Yeah, everything's perfect, but wait. Well, he's had, by my count, at least three bad games in a row and got COVID. And he has stood tall, taken a beating, taken unfair criticism from people like Jeff Garcia, who, listen, Jeff's my guy, I'm not going to lie, but that was some just crazy shit he was talking about the other night. Some crazy shit. I'm like, that's the type of stuff I'm talking about with people with just unreasonable criticisms and critiques of cam cam became like the poster child for old man yelling at clouds. That was an old man yelling at the clouds moment for Jeff Garcia. I think it's, I I was like, what are we talking about right now? But cam has stood tall after these losses. He's been accountable. He's answered questions. He's been a team guy, which he always was a team guy. But he's he's been that way in front of the microphone and he has been all class and accountable. And I think that's something that's rare in football today. So let me be the old man yelling at clouds and use Cam Newton as an example of how you should be when things don't go right. Because I've been in his situation, not as a quarterback, not as um, you know, not not as somebody of his level uh, of a player or notoriety, but any football player, if you played long enough, only a few football players don't go through that moment where they're staring their fucking existence in the sport down the barrel. And when you're doing that, like it can be a desperate time and you can feel really fucking angry and frustrated and your self-esteem is crushed and you, you just everything, everybody becomes an enemy and you do, it's hard for you to be accountable. Like, but you try to do it and you try to be classy and you try to not throw people under the bus, try not to make excuses. I fucking been there. He's going through that. And dude, he is passing that test with flying colors. I really have a whole new level of respect for Cam Newton. So I don't know if he's going to be right on the field. I don't know if this story has a happy ending, but if it doesn't, he should be very fucking proud of himself, not just for a great career to this point, I mean, I'm not trying to write his obituary, but I'm just saying it looks like the past few weeks, you know, physically he might be sliding a little bit and maybe he wasn't week one. Um, I hope he picks it up. I also don't want to do the, Hey, one month, one month snapshot thing. You know, every quarterback gets bad months, um, goes through, you know, lows and highs, but just knowing the injury history the last couple of years just makes me worry. So we were also asked today, Justin Herbert or, (laughs) or um, Joe Burrow. 
It's a totally unfair answer. I think they're both awesome. Uh, and I think it's so early to make a choice on anybody, but since I'm doing TV as I tease K Adams, I'm a total podcast guy. Sure. I will, I will make a prediction for the rest of these two young men's lives, uh, as to who's going to be the best quarterback. I'll take Justin Herbert, you know, like I, I really will. And I think they're both awesome. Um, I think they both have a chance at being Super Bowl winning franchise quarterbacks. This is a fun little, little conversation. The last one kind of ended tragically. The um, Andrew Luck, RG3 race, if you will, that everybody was like, who's the better quarterback? You know, like I'm putting in my pick for RG3 or Andrew Luck. And then you root for that guy and try to justify it online for like three to five years. And you pick each other's arguments apart. Why do we have to choose? I guess I'll choose Herbert though. Joe Burrow could be like a hall of fame level middle infielder. If that's the analogy we're going with, Justin Herbert is a power hitter and both are going to be awesome and productive and win games. But I want to see the ball go 500 feet, you know, like baseball was healthy when people were jamming syringes <laughs> and needles into their ass and parking moonshots. It's the same thing with quarterbacks. I never gave a fuck about watching quarterbacks, okay? Justin Herbert, if you like analytics, he averages like three COCs is the way I put it today on the show. Three COCs a Sunday. You know what COC stands for? Chris off the couch. Chris off the couch. There's about five of those on any given NFL Sunday where I get my lazy ass up off my couch that I am plastered to. And I say something like, holy shit, or, oh my God, Justin Herbert makes those throws every day, three times, three to five times. It is awesome. Big boy throws, a lot of fun. So, you know, um, grand total of seven games, uh, and Herbert has two less games, I guess. He's got more touchdowns, less interceptions, you know, higher yards attempt. Also, to be fair, Joe's got less help around him and the offensive line is terrible. So I'm just saying right now, and there's no shade to anybody else, if I had to start a franchise with a quarterback and I had AFC quarterbacks pulled together, there's only one guy I'm picking before him. And his name rhymes with Patrick Bohms. That's my only hint. Um, yeah, fucking Justin Herbert is is a legend in the making, man. His passer rating is actually first on third down. Number two is Patrick Mahomes. I'll tell you who it is, Patrick Mahomes. Um, yeah, so the guy's the future. Who would have thought that the guy who is dubbed as the biggest project in the draft is actually the biggest plug and play like dude had 20 seconds to go get ready to play the defending world champions. Like, Hey, Justin, take your hat off, man. <laughs> Wipe that look off your face. Hey, Justin, wake the fuck up. Yes. Tyrod got stabbed in the lung with a fucking needle. What? Like get out there, call heads. Like, I don't know. Was he a captain that game? You, you don't, you don't get that situation ever in the NFL. It's unprecedented. A guy, no preseason, no OTAs, no game action to go out there and almost beat. And now you're going to be like, well, almost doesn't count. Okay. Brandy. Um, 
fucking dude has five seconds to go toe to toe with, with the, uh, the champs and almost, almost takes him down. Follow Justin Herbert on your uh, little Sunday ticket. You want to have fun. If you haven't been doing it, you've been missing some shit. It kind of reminds me of, and I don't watch much NBA as much until like it's crunch time. The first time I watched Luca, I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be fun. Like the NBA is going to be fun for a long time. And I feel the same way watching Joe Burrow, uh, but especially Justin Herbert right now. So a lot of fun. Come back Friday morning. Uh, we'll be doing some Halloween shit. I don't know what yet. I don't know what I'm going to be for Halloween. I just want to take a moment to tell you guys, uh, my son, Waylon, who's four, uh, has a choice, you know, like when it comes to his Halloween costume, literally with no coaxing, he wanted to be the Mucin X-Man cartoon rendition of a booger the one that gets flushed down the airplane toilet. That's the commercial he loves. He loves Mucinex. Not old enough to take it. I'm just always congested. So Mucinex, my son loves your product. Pay me a million dollars and I'll do ad reads about how much less I'm congested um, having taken your product. I'll give it a whirl. Haven't tried it in a while. Yeah. So maybe my son will stop by and do a guest appearance, but we'll, we'll be doing some Halloween shit. Y'all take care. See you Friday.